Welcome to Committing Faith in Public from Phillips Theological Seminary. This podcast is for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Along the way, we'll also get to know more about the ways Phillips supports those living out their faith in the public square. I'm your host, Kurt Gwartney, instructor in the Center for Ministry and Lay Training and Senior Director of Communications at the Seminary. Over the next several episodes, we'll be talking with student services staff members at Phillips to ask about their journeys into ministry and how they express their faith in public. Our conversation partner today is Courtney Lemke. Courtney Lemke, thank you so much for coming in today to talk with us about your seminary journey and your career, part of our Committing Faith in Public podcast. And I'd like you to begin by kind of telling us where you are now in terms of your religious vocational seminary path, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. So so where, where are you now? How are you using your seminary degree? Certainly. So first of all, thanks for inviting me into the conversation. Um, I am currently serving as director of admissions here at Phillips Theological Seminary. And in terms of where I am vocationally, I would say that I see um, shepherding people through the admissions process and kind of playing cultural translator between um, people seeking theological education and those who are kind of um, screening those applicants as as my ministry. So when you decided to go to ministry, was that a one of those uh, you you know woke up on a you know Wednesday morning uh, or late Wednesday afternoon, birds singing, sun shining, <laughs> light coming down out of the clouds, <laughs> rainbows, and and you said, okay, great, this is what I've been waiting for. So I'm going to go to seminary. How did that happen for you? Actually, it was a Thursday. I'm Thursday. I'm joking. Oh, yeah. um, no, it was um, it was the result of a little bit of discernment and a big aha moment. So I had belonged to a United Methodist congregation in Prairie Village, Kansas, and it was one of the, um, I think this is relevant to say it was one of the more theologically progressive congregations in the Kansas City metro area. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was like, uh, like this is what Methodist church looks like. And I was participating in what they called disciple Bible study. And uh, there was something about the way that the Bible study walked students through the story of faith and the story of the Bible that was a little bit more aligned with the story of people that made me understand that um, there's theological relevance and significance in um, really mundane spaces. At the same time, I was wrestling with uh, some tension that I felt between wanting to explore faith myself, but finding myself often in places that were exclusionary to people who I would consider on the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, exploring seminary was a way to both theological or deepen my theological commitments, uh, as well as prepare myself for a vocational role that might help me work in the church space in such a way that could make it more inclusive and expansive of people who weren't feeling welcome in churches. I'd second your uh, mention of the Disciple Bible Study uh, through the United Methodist Church. Um, I, I, too, had a similar experience in that it's called a Bible study, but its goal is how you how you live out life 
as mm-hmm. a follower yes. of Jesus Christ. It's it's you learn all of the you, you learn an amazing amount about scripture. Mm-hmm. But it but it you're right. It is it is more than that. And and it happens in seminary too, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Well, I feel like without some theological education, you pick up this document called the Bible. And first of all, it's treated as if it itself as a book is sacred. And uh, without some without some educational background, it's hard to contextualize the fact that this document is more like an encyclopedia of interrelated books, not something that leads from one chapter to another, like a Dan Brown novel with like a cliffhanger and then like the next chapter starts. And so starting to understand how to um, contextualize what a book of the Bible meant, um, looking at what preceded it, how does that inform what this means? And then how does that lead into the next one without it necessarily being woven together for you in the text was really important to me because Disciple helped me decode A, this is one book, one monolithic book that just makes sense as a narrative, and B, that the Bible makes sense thematically more than it makes sense chronologically. So um, I feel like Disciple helped me understand how the themes of the Bible moved as opposed to like trying to understand, like, why do I need to decode all of numbers? This is this is way overwhelming for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's that thematic work that I think also informs, at least in, in, in my experience in graduate theological education, I, I would say that actually works for what I experienced in seminary. Mm-hmm. Did you find that in seminary also when you when you went? Did you find themes and maybe what are some of those themes that you you experienced as you went through seminary? Absolutely. So for me, seminary was um, not just a process of education. I've had some people kind of diminish seminary as like an expansive Bible study, and that's really not what it is at all. What I found was that seminary first and foremost helped me deconstruct um, embedded theologies that were not necessarily life-giving or necessarily supporting of the values that I actually carry in my day-to-day life. The themes that emerged for me out of seminary as I was reconstructing that theology were themes like justice, beauty, love, truth, Um, community. And what I learned later was that those themes all point towards um, process theology, which is kind of where I would consider myself um, the most at home theologically is within the realm of process theology, which posits that there's not necessarily a white beard God, right? But that God exists in and through relationship and that God reveals God's self in the unfolding of things like love, beauty, truth, justice and things of that nature. And so those themes, I find anytime um, those themes come out in scripture or uh, in public conversation, it's very easy for me to to engage in theological reflection and say, where is God in this? Um, but it's exactly what you say, because I have an understanding of how to contextualize these themes for a broader picture and a broader understanding and more expansive understanding of, of what and whom God is and how that operates in the world. One of the things that has come out of the research uh, from the Association of Theological Schools about why people do or do not go to seminary is that the biggest decision is to actually decide to go to seminary rather Mm -hmm. than deciding which one to go to. Mm -hmm. The biggest impediment seems to be, you know, just making that commitment to go. How did did you experience that, and 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 how? What was your kind of your process as you decided to to make the commitment to go to seminary? I did experience that. In fact, I had to leave a really lucrative and fun, um, and dare I say, sexy job. Not um, in an inappropriate way, but like in a way that people really like to talk about at parties uh, to pursue seminary. So I, for me, it was a little bit of a sacrifice to leave that behind and to go into ministry. What I found was. Um, at the time, just based on certain um, circumstances in my life, I was pondering, um, you know, at the end of my time here on earth, what is it that I have spent my time doing? 
you know, over time, as fun as my job was, I was getting paid to go to parties and network with people and eat chocolate and drink champagne and do things like that to expand a brand, right? Um, but I felt like at the end of the day, this is kind of hollow. Um, I'm not sure it's really helping me to connect with myself or with others. I don't see how this is going to be impactful at the end of the day. And if at that, you know, if I were to have children, for example, what am I going to say was the mark that I left? Uh, or, or how did I make the world, a, a, not me personally, but how did I participate in leaving the world better than I found it? And I found that that was really easy for me to answer that question when I was participating in Bible study because somehow I would always emerge as a conversation leader, even if that wasn't my intention. So when I was wrestling with whether or not to go to seminary, the real deciding factor for me was, can I see myself in a professional setting where I'm dedicating my life to this kind of thought work and this kind of community work? And regardless of income, is that going to be sustaining for me over a, over a lifetime? And when I thought about it that way, when I could zoom the lens out and see the full picture of what does the next 20 to 30 years of my professional life look like, it was kind of a no-brainer um, mm. to, to pursue um, a vocation that was rooted in ministry. Now, that said, the reason I chose to go to seminary as opposed to just getting involved on kind of a professional level as an administrator or something of that nature was I really craved the intellectual stimulation and the formational piece that seminary offers. And while there are many ways to go about credentialing, as United Methodist, you can't move forward in ordination or anything of that sort without an MDiv degree. And so it, there was kind of the logical process of um, decision making. And then as I heard from uh, a very wise pastor who you may know named Charlotte Gortney, <laughs> there is also the discernment piece, which is is my spirit wrestling. And my spirit was restless. And I knew that this was a place that I could um, that I could explore that and enhance it. And that discernment, the question in that process is uh, important as as a person enters seminary uh, or decides to do that, and then even I, I know for me being in seminary because I was seeking ordination at the time because that's what you did, mm-hmm. uh, and was really struggling with whether that was where my call was or not. I was called to ministry, there was no doubt. Yes, uh, we are all called, but I was you know, pondering what to do. And there was a, a change in the church that meant I had to make a choice between mm-hmm. two different ways to do that. Yes. And again, a wise person, Gary Palouse over our <laughs> uh, recently retired uh, president emeritus uh, at Phillips. And I was struggling with this and, and he was dean at the time. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was talking to him on the phone and said, I just, you know, got to make this decision about what to do and how to do this. And, and he asked the perfect question, you know, uh, that, that would just, was the perfect question that was that distillation mm-hmm. of this is a key point in your discernment process, Kurt. So pay attention mm-hmm. to this, and if you do that, then I think you'll you'll end up where you need to be. Uh, and and it's interesting too that you talk about seminary. As uh, I know, uh, Ulysses Allen, we were visiting with him. You know, he he said you know he had kind of this Sunday school idea, mm. you know, about mm-hmm. about it, and and it's not. No, <laughs> in fact, if you're embedded in kind of Sunday school theology, seminary can be a real rude awakening. And in fact, I see a lot of people fall away after their first or second year because they expect for seminary to reinforce what they already believe, and if that's what you need for it to do, it's probably not the right place for you. Yeah, it it, it isn't. I'm I'm curious. So I'm, I'm going to skip ahead to your your position here at Phillips in the admissions office as the director of admissions, um, because you're the person who gets that first look at a 
a prospective student who's obviously interested enough that they've made application and there's a, there's a whole process. You, you just don't check a box and walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell, what would be your best advice to somebody who was wanting to fill out that application, wanting to go to seminary, wanting to come to Phillips? What guidance would you give them? Uh, you know, you're looking over their shoulder as they're working on this. What, what would you say? I would say be prepared to bring the, sp- the spirit of ministry with you along every step of the process as an applicant, as a student, as a graduate, at least from my perspective, um, coming from the Methodist tradition, which is itineracy, right? The idea is that every so many years, you're probably going to go into a new mission field. And as you approach a new mission field, you have to engage in some deep listening and really assess and discern what is needed in that context with these people at this point in time in history and culture. That same mindset will serve applicants very well if they recognize that there are different seasons of Mm. uh, matriculating through theological education and that they're called to serve in different ways and they're called to show up and lead in certain ways. So um, as they are preparing for the application itself, for example, how do we approach this not just as checking off the boxes to get into XYZ institution, but how do we take this moment to actually Let's use our essay for as a perfect example. How do we structure our essay in such a way that, yes, we're giving an admissions committee a writing sample, but we're also giving them a glimpse into what our heart is for ministry, not just a personal statement, but like demonstrating that we are looking ahead and seeing how things might shift and change over time. Then as they matriculate into new student, can they take the contextual mindset of someone who is here to not just put their stamp on a community, but to to be invested in an ecosystem that thrives on um, everyone showing up and being their full selves. Having some of the kinks worked out as people hone you, right? Like steel upon steel. Um, And then as they matriculate into kind of um, those third or maybe even fourth years of seminary, depending on how long it takes, I took longer than average in seminary. You know, what kind of leadership and guidance can you offer to new people as they come in and how are you engaging in community? How are you engaging in these theological concepts that are, very real to us once we are reforming our theologies. Uh, so every every season, I would almost say every semester is like a new season of being a student and then a student teacher and then maybe even a leader. Using seminary as a as a place to not just learn or get your credentialing, but using this as a place to really pilot what your ministry looks like for you. If you're a person who is called to people on the margins, how are you doing so with other students or even with staff and faculty? If you're a person who's interested in social justice, how are you exercising that here as a student? If you're a person who's interested in pastoral care, are you engaging in that kind of care with the community around you? So I really do see this as kind of like a like a nursery, not in a, not in a negative way, like a Muppet baby's oh, way. A laboratory almost. Yeah, but a laboratory, mm-hmm. right, to come in and don't I would, I would really advise people to come in and, and take full advantage of the uh, fact that you're allowed to bump your nose. You're allowed <laughs> to make mistakes. You're allowed to be entrepreneurial and fail forward because this is a grace-filled experience. And you're surrounded by people who have a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience who want to champion you into whatever it is that God is calling you to be. And, and it's okay to come in and to be reshaped into something that doesn't even necessarily look like the form that it did when it started. And that's called transformation. We have to allow for transformation to happen. 
That sounds like that takes a lot of patience. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I once had a parishioner that told me that she said, Courtney, don't pray for patience, pray for action. And I thought, wow, that's uh, that's wise. But sometimes some of us just need a little patience. But yeah, it's a virtue for a reason. <laughs> and it's the beginning of many, many, many seasons of growing in patience. And I also think that the, the community building in seminary is as important as almost anything else that you take away from this space. Like when you get into ministry, it can be a very lonely place, especially because of the misconceptions, even in your congregation about what your role is. And people look at you, they see you as um, a symbol for something greater than you are. And the thing is, and you know this and I know this, but we're enfleshed human beings with the same drives and desires and frustrations and friction that people in the pews have. And so um, as you experience those um that humanness, but you also have the responsibility of being clergy or being in ministry or what have you, you recognize that there's a very, there's a very thin line you have to walk. Uh, and, and without other people around you as, as a community of people who kind of understands how complicated that can be to navigate, it can just be a very lonely place. And I'll tell you, it's lonely ministers that end up, um, taking shortcuts that lead to, poor boundaries and then gets them in trouble. And so community is everything. Yeah, I think I think it is surprising to to those who aren't clergy in particular how lonely, how isolating uh that that job is. Mm-hmm. And it just as you said it it does lead to issues if if that's not addressed. Yeah, if you're a shepherd over a flock, which is an image that we see arise a lot in ministry, you don't often see images in popular culture of like multiple shepherds with the same flock. It's like you have to kind of peer out over the next four hillsides and give a wave, like a broad wave with your staff. Uh, and, you know, if you're if you're wise and if you're fortunate, you will find people that you can do life alongside that understand that and understand the call and the tension and who will who will pour into you that you can also pour into because it's not really just about what you can extract from those relationships, but how you can grow together and serve. I asked you about the advice you would give a prospective student who was applying to come to Phillips. What advice would you give to somebody as they're examining their different options for graduate theological education that they're, you know, maybe thinking about, you know, an ordination, maybe thinking about more of the, you know, social justice, uh, nonprofit kind of world, maybe thinking about the academic, I want to get a PhD kind of world. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to somebody who's curious, wants to enter the system, mm-hmm. but may not entirely be sure which way they want to go? Stay open-minded as to the degree you're going to pursue. You may think you want a master's in theological studies because you want a PhD. You may think you want a master of divinity because you want to be ordained. You may think that you want... Um, a graduate certificate, apply to whatever program you think is the most adequate for the job that you want to have and the credentialing that you need to get that job because there is an element of, um, for lack of a better phrase, transactionality that comes with a certain degree type. However, as you start to be formed by um, the people that you're doing seminary with, your professors, the staff, other students, be open-minded to maybe switching tracks as you um, as you navigate if your call is maybe being more clarified in one direction or another, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with changing a degree program once you get started. The other thing I would say is as you discern where you want to go to school, as we talked about that laboratory, I've used this word before, 
it is an ecosystem and you're one piece of that ecosystem. So you might, you might consider visiting several seminaries or talking to several different schools and identifying not which of these is going to be the easiest, which of these is going to have the quickest path to where I'm going, but where am I going to encounter the most potential for my own growth and where can I contribute to the growth of others? Growth and comfort rarely go hand in hand. So I think it's okay to step into a place and even if it doesn't feel like home right away or fit like a glove, ask yourself, like, am I challenged in a way here that's going to force me to grow into something that's more beautiful than I am right now? Is it going to lead to transformation? Or is it the kind of thing where, oh, actually this might lead to some hostility later and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to figure out how to, how to get my needs met here. In general, I would encourage people to go at a place where they have the greatest potential for growth. Well, Courtney Lemke, I think that's a great word to end on. I so appreciate your time and, and all your support for uh, the students in the admissions process. I know that is a, a, ch- a challenging time for a lot of folks, and I know that you guide them in a wonderful way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Committing Faith in Public from Phillips Theological Seminary. Our conversation partner today was Courtney Lemke, the Director of Admissions at Phillips. For more information about this episode, see the links in the show notes or go to ptstulsa.edu. As always, we're grateful to the originator of this podcast, Gary Peluso Verdand, Phillips President Emeritus and former director of the Center for Religion and Public Life. I'm your host, Kurt Gordy, and if you know someone who is living their faith in public and would make a good guest, I'd like to talk with them. You'll find my email address in the notes, and we also invite you to like and follow our work. Until next time, keep committing faith in public.